tip of the tongue, yellow letter. Tip of the tongue, the lips, teeth. Tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth. Leonard Malton, Leonard Malton, Leonard Malton. Do you Do you guys remember the the George Lucas interviews with Leonard Malton on the Star Wars VHSs? Those are special, not the special editions. The no, the VHS. Yeah. VHS, uh, THX remastered ones. Those were awesome. Those were actually it's really good. It's going to be a prequel about Darth Vader as a child. I wanted to put a beak <laughs> on it. That's where the beak came from, yeah. Was that? No, because that no, was before it, Special Edition. No, the beak comes from the, the commentary on the Special Edition Blu-rays or DVDs. How do, you think, how do you think Lucas would have done if he directed Dracula? Bad. Like... You're going, ah. stand, you're going to stand there and Renfield's going to ask for food. No. Faster, no, more intense. Some, somebody else would have come in and told the actors what to do. He was like, I'm going to I'm gonna mm-hmm. line this shot up really well. Yep. Yep. Okay, I'm going to put a peek <laughs> on it. And welcome to the Monster Rally Podcast, the only podcast that talks about the universal horror monster movies in chronological order. I'm sorry, what word was that you just said? <laughs> yeah, you heard what the word I said was. Also, I don't know if that's even true. There could be I other podcasts that do we do. Accurate, but we don't and know. today we're talking about 1941's The Wolfman, which one of us described as their favorite universal horror movie before we started recording this podcast. <laughs> Um, last week, I said, this is my favorite Universal Horror Monster movie. Let's see how that holds up. Anyway, The Wolfman, starring Lon Chaney Jr. That's how I'm going to say his name every time, Lon Chaney Jr. Um, and as always, this is Gary, and I'm joined by Mike and James. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, sir. Oh, Auga. There we go. Oh, I see what you're doing there, James. You're doing the Werewolf of London doing thing. A, all right, because Mike is supposed to say good evening, but he stopped because he's a coward. Right. Uh, like, let me lean into that Wolfman. Mike, when we start the show, I say, and as <laughs> always, I'm joined with Mike and James, and you say, good evening. Good evening. Okay, let me start that again. And as always, I'm joined by Mike and James. Good evening. Oh, there oh, it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. About it. 1941's The Wolfman. We got out of this banner year of 1940. Universal was back on top of the world. They're like, we can do no wrong. We did two Invisible Man movies in one year, and The Mummy's Hand. It was a thing. Let's make another werewolf movie, guys. We could do better than last time. Right? Fucking right, you can. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. This is going to be one of those episodes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> So that brings us to 1941, The Wolfman, directed by George Wag- Wag- Wagner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I didn't know if uh, it was going to be like Wagner, but it's Wagner. Yeah. Just like Funny. Honus. And uh, he directed some episodes of Batman. What else did he do, Mike? He did, yeah, he did end his career with a considerable amount of uh, episodes of Batman. But he was um, he actually produced and directed The Wolfman. But prior to it, he did other things for Universal, like Man Made Mon- Man Made Monster with Lon Chaney Jr. Prior to The Wolfman, a favorite of mine. I really enjoy that film. Uh, he also did Horror Island. Um, so yeah, he was well known within the studio for his very fast and efficient ways. Uh, and as we've kind of gone over again and again, 
everything posts on a Frankenstein. That's exactly the sort of stuff that Universal was looking for. Just people that could kind of churn them and burn them really quickly. No fancy schmancy artists, just really dependable uh, craftsmen uh, behind the camera. And that's exactly what George Wagner was. So they entrusted him with a name cast to stir the public's attention. And we'll get into this really considerable uh, and star-spangled cast uh, in a little bit. Um, in addition, Kurt Sidomack, once again back in the fold, was tasked with writing the screenplay. And the screenplay for The Wolfman was written completely from scratch, not relying on 1935's Werewolf of London. Thank fuck for that. Or, <laughs> or the studio's <laughs> own uh, work on the unfilmed Boris Karloff werewolf vehicle from the 30s that never happened. Um, Cytomac was told um, just simply who would star in the picture, that there was a $180,000 budget, and that he had about 10 weeks to write it as the very few directives that he was given. Um, so hold on a second. What did he yes. do for the rest of the nine and a half weeks when he was done? Oh, with that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, nice, su- nice subtle wow. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, uh, I mean, hopefully he was kicking back, but um, as per the course with any of these Universal productions, what do you think, what do you guys think happened at the start of production? What do you it, think happened? It got delayed. Yeah. It's <laughs> so <laughs> weird that you know that. Might have got yes. delayed. Yeah. So as usual with Universal Monster Productions, delays push the original production start from September 8th to October 27th, 1941. And interestingly enough, Dick Ferran, our old pal Steve Banning from The Mummy's Hand, was originally announced as one of the film's stars before being replaced by Patrick Knowles a week before filming was set to start. And we'll get into him um, a little bit later on. So, yeah. So this came out December 12th, 1941, so almost a year after Invisible Woman, which was, I believe, December 27th. So it's been a good year for Universal um, before they they released another movie. What's that? They deserved the break after three in one year, right? Yeah, they went went pretty pretty hard in 1940, and they're like, we're going to come back with our best movie ever. Yes, close. Quite close, actually. It should premiere two days. Uh, sorry, it premiered two days before the attack on Pearl Harbor. So yeah, well, that's yeah. I can only that, imagine maybe that affected box office as well. So that might be a, a good trivia question. What was the number one movie in America during Pearl Harbor? I have to assume it was The Wolfman. Unless, unless Wizard of Oz was still on my, around. <laughs> on my wild, limited knowledge of the subject, I imagine it's The Wolfman <laughs> or Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, well, that is that is a really interesting point, um, the fact that the Pearl Harbor attack did take place. Um, so, yeah, uh, Wolfman, um, it only fell shortly behind schedule. Uh, it's one-month shooting schedule. It finally wrapped production on November 25th, and they really hurried it through post-production uh, for the press to witness some of the first prints of it in early December. So again, as always, it's always on like a really fast, like bullet train sort of scheduling with these things. Uh, Universal, weirdly enough, or maybe not so weirdly enough at this time, but they issued the film as the top of a double bill with the Mad Doctor of Market Street in many situations. Um, So although Universal was really confident in this latest horror opus of theirs, um, the attack on Pearl Harbor obviously sent shockwaves throughout the country and on the studio. Um, So fearing a tale of terror would backfire on them at this time. Um, uh, You know, perhaps, again, not so oddly enough, because people kind of 
flock to the cinemas to kind of escape into these things. The Wolfman still proved to be a real major grocer at the box office, despite, you know, all of the Pearl Harbor stuff going on and critics, um, pretty overwhelmingly uh, unfavorable criticism towards it, which is just outright wrong. And Gary will get into all of that soon enough. Did you say the critics had unfavorable criticism about the Wolfman? Yeah, a lot of it was actually negative. A lot of the reviews that I saw, they would kind of like say like, oh, it's like it's good enough for, you know, the runtime or whatever. But they kind of were giving it sort of backhanded criticism. So it was never like overwhelmingly positive. But look what we're coming off of. We're coming off of the great universal renaissance of Son of Frankenstein, which be, which was great. Yeah. Um, and then three super fun movies in the two invisible movies in Mummy's Hand. You know, and now to go back to something that doesn't have the humor that maybe the previous four movies have had. This is just a pretty straight drama. I don't know if you call this a horror movie, but it's a thriller for sure. Maybe that maybe people were, were just kind of expecting some levity. Yeah, I mean, that's like, I guess that's fair to say, because, yeah, like the invisible woman takes obviously a much different turn than we were <laughs> expecting when we watched that film. It's a, it's a total slapstick comedy. The Wolfman, I think, really tries to pivot it back to something simpler, uh, more conventional, maybe. Um, but I think it's it's these things that kind of make it stand out. Um I do want to talk about somebody in particular um, because, uh, again, it's this thing that we always talk about in the Universal Monster movies, and that's atmosphere. And the Wolfman has a ton of it. Um, and a lot of that is credited to art director uh, Jack Otterson, who was the art director on Son of Frankenstein. Um, but really, it was reportedly his associate, Robert Boyle, who deserves a lot more of the praise here. Um, so obviously, they were given very little money to make the large sets and the sound stages uh, to stand out as they really desired it to. So Boyle, Gary? It's weird that Robert Boyle worked on this movie because his son ended up playing the monster in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, there you go. How funny is that, right? I I don't know if that's true. Peter okay. Boyle's. I don't know if that's Robert Boyle's son. I don't think so. But I was. I thought you were coming in with some juicy bit of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we like to uh, lie on this podcast. It, it is. <laughs> it is a British singer uh, Susan Boyle's grandfather, though. Is that right? No, that's also a lie. Also a lie. Yeah, <laughs> I assume. When I like came... to think I had this like theory. Where I'm like everybody who has the same last name has to be related. Like it's not fair if they're not. That oh. just doesn't. Oh, you, you have the thoughts of a seven year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I had that theory yesterday, but. <laughs> When you came out with that nugget, I literally was about to throw all my papers away because I was like, that's the most fascinating thing that I've heard from everything. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's crazy. Wow. Um, But no, uh, I was just going to say Boyle, which is pretty interesting. He arranged for Universal to buy a subdivision of walnut trees that were being torn down in the San Fernando Valley to better dress certain scenes. He ended up painting them black to look more ominous, which they definitely do. And then he drenched the scenes in fog, particularly the transformation ones and the gypsy camp sequences um, to fill up the dead spaces in the large sets. So that really makes a a really strong standing uh, visual statement in this film, which I think is probably one of its greatest uh, 
its greatest aspects. But Boyle later on would insist that it was his work on the Wolfman specifically that led to his collaborations with Hitchcock, where he was the production designer on things like uh, North by Northwest, The Birds and Marnie. So, yeah, if Hitchcock thought uh, the Wolfman was good enough, then I I would love to think that Gary would think it is. But I don't know if we're going to get there today. I know better than Hitchcock. I'm, I'm still here and he's not here. That's, that? that's Mr. Hitchcock to you, damn it. So you said um, early on there was plans for a Boris Karloff werewolf movie. Does anyone have any details about that? Because that sounds rad. Not um, let me check awful. my notes. I would love for Jimmy no. to come in here. <laughs> no, I don't. No. What if we start our, our annual annual weekly Kickstarter <laughs> <laughs> where we make the Boris Karloff Bi-we- werewolf movie? Bi-weekly. No, I like annual weekly. (laughs) How are our Kickstarters doing? Like how much? Uh, 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 They've raised more than uh, Critical Role and Mystery Science Theater 3000 put together. It's off the charts, really. Yes. We're we're speaking with some directors. Um, Michael Bay is interested. Oh, Justin Lin is interested. I I just got (laughs) off the phone with little Stevie Spielberg uh, before we hopped on together. And um, I just I told him to, uh, you know, stick it with sunshine. Hey, I'm going to take a quick detour because it is it is the world is wrapped up right now in Fast and Furious mania. (sighs) Folks, if you're listening to this in the future, you'll know. Yeah. So I was reading in my men's health magazine, which I read because I'm a man and I like to be healthy. (laughs) Are you? <laughs> and they had an interview with Vin Diesel, and he, of course, Vin Diesel's big breakthrough role was Saving Private Ryan, which is actually yeah. his big first motion picture. And I didn't know this, and I don't think it's true that uh, Spielberg let him design some of the shots for Saving Private Ryan and set up the camera for some shots because he thought that Vin Diesel was going to be the next great American director. That's what Vin Diesel claims in that well, movie. I think I Vin Diesel I... is doing a lot of cocaine <laughs> a well, considerable I, amount so he got the role in saving private ryan off of an independent short that he did called multi multifacial i think yes um in which i believe that he was director and it's a one the, man it's like a one man show it's a one man thing yeah and mate listen all i know is that it's in writing so he can be sued for libel <laughs> <laughs> if it's not I true. just I just don't don't believe that Spielberg said, Hey Vin Diesel, I think I'm you're gonna be the next gonna, I'm not gonna say no because I personally don't want to be sued for slander, so be careful with your words there, Gary. My my <laughs> point is just my, my point is just this. Vin Diesel's never directed a, a movie out after that, so I don't maybe he's waiting. Maybe yeah, he's, waiting. he's just waiting for the right time. Yeah. Um, so you said Boris Karloff was originally in contention uh, in the 30s. And then um, once the Wolfman was announced, good old Bela Lugosi, realizing he just shit the bed by not playing Dracula more, lobbied for the lead role here. And they're like, nah, bro, but we got a part for you. Ironically, we have a character named Bella. You should play him. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's the character named Bella before or after he got cast? I have I a feeling like his name was probably just like head, you know, I don't feel good about saying the word gypsy, guys. Gonna say it here. It's fine. Yeah, we're gonna probably reference that word here, so it's what they say in the movie, and that's uh that's why. 
That's correct. Don't feel good about so it. So they cast Bell Lugosi, who is a, a, a still a big name at this point in the early 40s. Um, sure. We have like a triple threat of, of giant uh, Universal Horror Monster movie sure. stars because we have Bell Lugosi. Uh, we'll get to Lon Chaney Jr. Trust me, we'll spend a lot of time on him. But we get to see in the flesh our man, Claudio Reigns. Claudio. Yeah. Before we jump, like just sticking with Claude Reigns for a second, I feel like going back when we did our Invisible Man episode, we might have just gotten so like caught up in that movie. But I feel like we all three of us like falsely said this was the the only time we would be seeing Claude Reigns. I feel like we all completely forgot that he plays Lon Chaney Jr.'s dad in, in The Wolfman. I, I feel like I remember. Like we made a big deal that... Claude Rains' Invisible Man was the only thing he did. Did I make that up, or did I we? I think we did talk about that. But he also is, is, is also in Phantom of the Opera. He plays the Phantom of the Opera as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we shit the bed on that. Sorry, well, Gary, guys. you said you didn't want to watch silent movie, so you're a monster. No, he plays Phantom of the Opera in the 1943 Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah. right, yeah, because uh, yeah, because uh, Larry Talbert's uh, papa, Larry his Talbert's real, papa, his who's not. Papa. It's so confusing. Well, <laughs> on I was actually reading something, and something that makes me uh, like. Uh, junior a little bit more i uh, it was the studio's decision to market him as lon chaney because they're a bunch of fucking ghouls uh he did not he was like um why isn't junior up there uh because we're gonna get a bigger box office the thing is you're dead dad yep <laughs> you can ask. that's that's great that's, so that's, i guess i guess yeah, before yeah. we talk about lon chaney jr we have not talked about lon chaney at all in this this podcast and of course he is an icon of cinema man of a thousand um, faces Man of a Thousand Faces, uh, of course, known for playing Phantom of the Opera and all those other movies that Mike's going to mention. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> the Hunchback of Notre Dame and 998 other characters. <laughs> yep. But uh, he, is, he is probably the earliest horror icon. Is that a safe bet to say? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do we know about Lon Chaney Jr.? How did he kind of get in the mix? Well, his name is Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, <laughs> got it. And, it, and uh, he was for being a uh, a tall drink of water. He was too shrimpy to get into football, and so uh, I guess that's how he uh, got into acting. Yeah. Lon yes. Chaney Jr. born in 1906, lived through 1973, which is weird to think that Lon Chaney Jr. could have went to Woodstock. I hope he did. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I hope what, he did. What do you think Lon Chaney Jr.'s views on Vietnam were? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he was, I, he was definitely spending those last few years like at the bottom of a bottle. Like he, he became a pretty bad drunk. Um, had his big breakthrough perf- performance in Of Mice and Men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of people that we've talked about have been in Of Mice and Men. <laughs> I mean, that was like, yeah, that was his big uh, standout role. He played Lenny opposite uh burgess meredith and he did a really great job in that and then even after it he he was still playing kind of heavies and just kind of throwaway supporting characters <laughs> before he made that transition into things like man-made monster and then you know obviously with the wolfman his career just completely exploded and they they sort of forgot like he gives a really nuanced um performance and of mice and men and then they were like, oh, that's great. We're not going to fucking use that at all going forward for your career. And then, you know, with The Wolfman, it's this film and Man-Made Monster that kind of send send uh, 
Cheney Jr. on this road, this long tenure with the Universal Studios monster films. Um, you know, after this, we're going to see him again in The Ghost of Frankenstein, playing the monster. We'll see him in The Mung- Mummy's Tomb, playing Karis. Uh, he'll reprise his role in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. He gets to play Dracula in Son of Dracula. So he spends a considerable amount of time within the monster canon, playing several different of the monsters. And then, you know, he did other things, too. He did High Noon in 52 the defiant ones in 58 uh ending his career uh working with uh, the schlockmeister himself al adamson and things like the female bunch a film that was shot at uh charlie manson's spawn ranch and lastly dracula vs frankenstein which is nothing <laughs> nothing like the films that we're seeing here nothing uh like the artistic achievements that we reach in this podcast so we talk a lot about uh, we've talked a lot about Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, and they've they're kind of the the icons of early Universal horror. But the 1940s is literally just like the decade of Lon Chaney Jr. This guy is yeah. in, in every single friggin' movie that we're gonna cover for the next couple weeks. Yeah, he's the rock star now. Yeah. Well, well, he's also I, I'm gonna just make this guess. He's the only character who's ever played the Mummy, the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein. The only actor. Yeah. Yeah. Other than me, I, I, I did it in high school. You did, yeah, you did. And you did <laughs> well, it well. What, what you do in your personal time is none of our business, Gary. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just going to say a, a controversial statement here. He's, he's, not not, he's not a great actor. No, I don't think he's a great actor. Well, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, like I, 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 he's a little rusty, but mm. I mean, this whole film, and we're going to get into it too, it's like this whole film of like, people's kids are very much American and then they're sort of like European. Yeah, I've got notes on that one. Yeah, like it's (laughs) it's very different, but I think it's very evident that the the makers of the film were just like we don't give a shit we they have a great cast and they fucking knew it so they were like we're gonna utilize everybody that we have here. But yeah, you're kind of like is this New York or is this Wales? Like where the fuck are we? Mike, you said that Lon Chaney Jr. may be a little rusty in this one, and I'd like to say, can you get rusty when you're not made of metal? Because I think, if anything, he's a wet paper bag. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. But to Mike's point, there is a very good supporting cast around there him. Is. Claude Rains is excellent again as jo- Sir John Talbot. Mm-hmm. We have, we already talked about Bella Lugosi as Bella. Which, again, like Bella, you know, going back to Son of Frankenstein, this is just another thing. Everyone wants to talk about Dracula, Dracula. But this is another example of Bella Lugosi absolutely slaying it in a supporting part. Like sometimes less yeah. is more. And Agreed. Lugosi just just does so much with so little here. So that's why I love that he pops up in these minor roles because he always knocks it out of the park. Hard yeah. agree. Yeah, totally. He's excellent. He's excellent in this movie. Claude Rains is very good. Um, the female lead is Evelyn Ankers. I thought she was solid in this. Yeah, she's solid. Yeah, she she is somebody that we'll definitely be talking um, a lot about, and I love her. She's uh, she is kind of uh, like an early <clears throat> scream queen of the '40s, and she really dominates the decade. And she's going to be dominating a lot, just like Lon Chaney Jr. in the next few weeks. Um, she'll go on to appear in The Ghost of Frankenstein, playing Elsa Frankenstein. <clears throat> little, some phlegm balls coming up on Gary's side. <laughs> um, she, Yeah, she just kind of dominates in a lot of horror films. Uh, she'll appear in Sherlock Holmes and the Boys of Terror, Captive Wild Women, um, Son of Dracula, where she plays Claire Caldwell, the Mad Ghoul, 
the Invisible Man's Revenge. Does she dominate in those two, Mike? <laughs> yeah, she's going to dominate considerably, actually. Tell us yeah. how she dominates Lon some Chaney people, Jr. Some, some people pay extra for that. Well, you know who she's going to dominate? She... <laughs> I'm going to tell you who she's going to dominate because I actually had this note. She she was getting dominated by Glenn Ford. <laughs> yes, Evelyn Ankers was getting dominated by Glenn Ford because she was engaged to him, but then she broke it off after meeting Richard Denning, and Richard Denning is Literature notable. Because... werewolf and then died and then... Right, it's all full circle. Yes, we're following. No, she broke off her engagement with the Glenn Ford after she met Richard Denning, and that name is going to be familiar because he would go on to play Mark Williams, one of the leads in A Creature from the Black Lagoon. They married, and they remained married from 1942 all the way till 1985 when she passed away. So pretty cool that she dropped Glenn Ford and got with another uh, Universal Monster alumni. We have uh, some generic leading men in this movie. Ralph Bellamy, he plays the constable i think of the town or the village or wherever they live we'll talk about it i don't know Ford. um we have warren william as dr lloyd um i just assume he's the doctor that lives at the talbot house because he fucking never leaves <laughs> everybody has an in-house doctor at this time clearly and then i think the most uh interesting character in this movie i'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name is maria um the oh, lady i want who... you to do it coward yeah do it coward do it coward yeah, everyone knows I'm not good with names. Maria Uspensakaya. Got it Come in on. one. Not bad, not bad. All right, you guys take a crack at it. Oh. Uspenskaya. <laughs> um, and she plays Maleva, the Romanian uh, fortune teller, who I did not know that she was Bella's mother. I assumed she was his sister, his lover, but mother. Right, mother. <laughs> um, and only six years older than him. But a uh, lot of lot of road miles comparatively to Bell at the time. Yeah. yeah. And well, he... she was. Yeah, she was like an. She only had about twenty five credits um, to her name. Uh, you know, she was an elderly woman. She died in forty nine uh, at the age of seventy three. So she's already. I mean, at that time, she was like considered up there in age when she did the Wolfman. But although she had a relatively scant career, she still appeared in things like Waterloo Bridge, The Mortal Storm, uh, Dance Girl Dance. She'll come back again in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. But Hell yeah. Even Hell with yeah. the, the small body of work, though, she still managed to get uh, nominated for two Oscar nominations for Best Supporting Actress in both uh, Dodsworth and Love Affair in 39. So pretty impressive for an old lady who had, you know, pretty limited screen credits. But yeah, she she's terrific in this. And everybody on set that was making the film were completely blown away by her because she had a really um, incredible stage career. So she brought, I think, a lot of that to her performance. She gets name dropped in one of my favorite books of all time. What's that? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, yeah. Holly Golightly says she's one of her idols. Wow, interesting. That's awesome. That's that really cool. That is interesting. Yes. Are you lying yes. again? No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think any like interesting thing that you're gonna give, I'm just gonna assume it's bullshit now. Um, I think it's really cool that we get something unique in the beginning of this movie. We get the cast introductions with like little oh, yeah. screenshots of them. Yeah, we, and get, it's like, we, oh. get the, we get the full uh, sitcom uh, opening. I love that. That was I really cool. I did not like it. That felt like <laughs> padding out the runtime a little bit, but it was neat. Well, maybe. That could be it. <laughs> and uh, I like Lon Chaney Jr. billed as the Wolfman, not as Larry Talbot. 
And they never <laughs> see the Wolfman at all during the movie. He's no. only cons- well, called, they call him a werewolf. I feel like after the plot summary, we could spend a significant amount of time on the where on how a werewolf versus Wolfman works. Oh, hell yeah. Into it. Um, should we get into this plot summary? I yes. would love for you to tell me about this big, big, dumb creep, Larry Talbot. Dying to hear about it. I'm sorry, Lawrence Talbot, the creep. I just want to say, uh, Monster Rally listeners, no five-star reviews, so can't work anything into the plot summary this week. Y'all gotta get your game up. Yeah, I know. This would have been a good one because there's a, I have a lot of opinions about things that happen in this movie. <laughs> and you're ready to hear them. Are we ready? As ready as we'll ever be. <clears throat> Here I go. Larry Talbert. Talbert. Damn it, I already <laughs> messed up. <laughs> Larry Talbot. Talbot? <laughs> no, man. Talbot. <laughs> Ta- Talbot. Yeah. Larry Talbot. Uh, let's, has... try, let's go for three, baby. You got Larry, it. I believe Larry, in you. You got la- it. La- la- Larry Talbot has returned home after 18 years, which he probably spent in jail for stalking or kidnapping or some shit. <laughs> Larry's brother, John, has just passed away, and Larry is staying with his father, who, guys, I want to take a pause, is the king of this village, the oh. governor, the mayor. What is this town, and where are we? We... Uh... we... We don't know. It's we're just in, supposed to be. Yeah, it, it's, we're it's, in it, Wales. We're well, in generic Universal Monster no, Village. We are canonically in Wales, even though nothing about this movie would let you think that. Yeah, but like no. his dad runs this town, right? Well, his dad is is a. Uh, I would say probably back in the day he was the, the Talbots would have been the liege the liege lord. Head uh, okay. guy the, the Duke, maybe. Uh, no, he's, he's just a sir, big man on campus. Got it. So also seemingly living in Talbot Castle is the chief of police and the only doctor in town because those fuckers never leave. They're always there. Really overstaying their welcome. Well, listen, if nothing else, we know that the police in the Universal Monster movies love to just stay in castles. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Fucking love it. Larry's father, as a, uh, on top of being the king of Wales, is also a famous astronomer and has a baller-ass telescope, which Larry uses to be a fucking peeping Tom and spy on Gwen who lives above an antique shop. So Larry decides to take a stroll into said antique shop and tries to flirt with Gwen by admitting that he was spying on her. Because <laughs> that's how you woo over women, by admitting you were spying on them. He continually asks her on a date, which she says no to. Mm-hmm. But this fucker does not understand that no means no. Mm-hmm. So Larry buys an expensive cane, hoping that he'll bribe her into a date. The silver cane has a wolf's head and a pentagram on it and costs 15 whole dollars. Well, hold on. It was three pounds. So we're talking that the the and Larry had been living in the U.S. for like 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I guess a self-imposed exile. We don't really get into that. <laughs> probably he was probably uh, waiting for, for the heat to die down for him to come back home. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, it was. I think he said 15 dollars. It's right. So it's like, well, <laughs> One pound, one pound sterling. Yeah, it's five whole buckaroos, buddy. And <laughs> think about this: this is, this is before World War II, so like you know, cheap. Yeah. Well, even though Larry throws his money around, it still does not impress Gwen, and she still agrees not to go on this date. But Larry, who's a persistent asshole, shows up to pick her up anyway after work, um, to be surprised that one, Gwen is fucking engaged, and two. Gwen is no dummy and decides to bring her her friend along um, for protection. 
Also, it's really weird that they ask Larry his name and he doesn't tell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. nothing Cause makes you feel safe with a complete stranger is when they don't mm-hmm. tell you their fucking name, right? Mm-hmm. So Larry decides to take his two dates to get their palms read. Probably so he can say something creepy as hell like, I see some Larry in your future or some oh. shit oh. like that. <laughs> Got a little Larry in you. <laughs> Gwen's friend Jenny goes first, and fortune teller Bella sees a pentagram on her hand, indicating that she will be the next victim of a werewolf. While Jenny is with Bella, Larry sees his opening and decides to seclude Gwen and corner her up against a tree. Yeah, he's a real predator. <laughs> Guys, Mike is giving me a look like I'm making this up, but this is exactly what happens in this, this is movie. Exactly it's, just what happened, so, Mike. it's just the way you're saying it just makes it seem so much more romantic than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so... Right before Larry can take advantage of Gwen, <laughs> Jenny screams and Larry rushes over to find her being attacked by a wolf. Larry fights the wolf and beats it with his cane, but is bitten during the struggle. <clears throat> the next morning, Larry awakens with no bite and is the prime suspect in the murder of both Jenny and Bella, who appeared where the wolf had died. I don't know why I said appeared so weird. That was strange. It's hard to read. Reading <laughs> is hard. Larry meets Malvinia, Bella's mother, who informs him that Bella was a werewolf, and now that curse has been passed to Larry. Only silver can stop a werewolf, so Malvinia provides Larry with a silver necklace. But Larry, being Larry, sees this as another opportunity to get in Gwen's pants and gives it to her as a gift before forcibly kissing an engaged woman. (laughs) This is what happens happens in this movie. movie. Larry transforms into a werewolf, I guess. We don't get to see it. And then changes his clothes to put on a nice work shirt and tucks it in. And then he kills the <laughs> local grave digger. The next I morning, do like, like that the tucking of the shirt was like very important. I mean, it's, it's a point. Though. It's, because that's look, not what he was wearing when he turned right, into the yes. werewolf. Very much so. <laughs> the next morning, the police tra- trace the wolf footprints literally right to Larry's window where he's standing. <laughs> But the doctor, who I assume has to be on the Talbot payroll, informs the police not to question Larry. And the police are just the worst cops ever and are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Larry decides to leave town after realizing he's a werewolf and asks his father to restrain him for one more night. The hunt is on outside Talbot Castle for the murderer. And uh, Gwen just decides to also just wander around the woods for no reason. All this leads to an exciting climax where Larry attacks Gwen... Who, he, who was to be his next victim, but the senior Talbot put his would-be rapist son out of his misery by beating him to death. <laughs> and then we see, as, as all villains who die in a Universal Monster movie, they transform back into their original self as credits roll. Yeah. I mean, it's Do pretty you accurate. Know? <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's pretty accurate. accurate. Yeah. I mean, Gary, Gary Gary went above and beyond to make sure that there is a campaign now to cancel the Wolfman somehow. No, it's not that. It's it's he is. I'm going to say this. We've we've seen vampires, mm-hmm. mummies back from the dead, uh, Frankenstein, who who just kills tons of people. The Invisible Man, who who killed hundreds, if not thousands of people. And I'm going to say this. Larry Talbot is the most evil character oh, we've oh yeah, encountered in a universal horror movie. Oh, my God. Okay, so what we know of Griffin is that he – was he curmudgeonly beforehand? We don't know. Uh, in the book, yeah, he was. But 
we don't see that in the movie. All we know is that he's being racked with madness and the madness amps up as he goes on his reign of terror. Okay, the monster doesn't know any better initially. And then when he really starts racking up a body count, he's being controlled by a magic flute. Dracula, Dr- Dracula is... <laughs> Dracula. He he feeds on blood. That's how he that's how he lives, you know. Um, and that's just know, his lifestyle. We can't judge nature, him for that. It's nature versus nurture. <laughs> don't not say he's a good guy, but he's like you know he's a literal monster. What can you do? Larry Talbot makes the choice to be horrible always. <laughs> Before he becomes a werewolf, he's Larry, already dude. Listen, Larry's he's, just trying to fuck, <laughs> but he's not going about it the right way, Mike. No, he's not. He's He's already a predator before he becomes a wolfman. And it's interesting. And they, I think it's his dad that says, like, it's the myth of the wolfman that just shows, like, it's the beast coming out of a man. And mm-hmm. it, it's like, it's it's like, a, almost he implies it's like a split personality. And you actually aren't a werewolf. You're just like, it, it's your primal side coming out. Yeah, That's well, how I think yeah. it is for Larry. Larry's a horrible person. Yeah. I mean, apparently that is probably a line that's held over when this was originally going to be a psychological thriller and when we were never actually going to see a wolf we're just going to hear about the attacks and everything and larry wouldn't know if it was him or not that's a really that's a really interesting take far more interesting i think but also guys they say it multiple times even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright Larry Talbot is not a man who is pure in heart. <laughs> what does he have? He's got lust and greed in his heart. And he was, like you said, he's been gone for 18 years. We don't know why. He's clearly he, doesn't have, no, he clearly doesn't have a relationship with his father or his brother who just died and shows no remorse that his brother's dead. Which, again, another holdover. He was never going to be Larry Talbot. He was going to be like Larry Smith or something. He was going to be an American that was sent over to help with the telescope. Yeah. Which yeah, the, the, would the, explain uh... the casting, I guess. But also, Dog <clears throat> ain't going to try an accent. Like, I understand not going for the Welsh accent. Because if you ever heard Welsh people, that's yeah. all I'm going to say. Right. I don't want to be sued for uh, libel or slander. Yeah. By, <laughs> by, by the country of Wales. <laughs> by by the, uh, the the Regency of Wales. The, when, I, when I realized this was supposed to take place in some kind of Europe... I was just so thrown off by all every every character who was speaking. Yeah, I mean that that that's one thing that I will give it. I mean it doesn't it doesn't necessarily hurt the movie for me, but yeah, it's jarring like for sure the fact that Lon Chaney Jr is this like the hulking son to Claude Rains. Hey, everybody, and, yeah. it's me, Larry Talbot, yeah. born and raised in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that he doesn't I, look like the old place hasn't changed much, huh? Like, <laughs> It's me, Dad. Not, you know, your regular Welsh son. Not somebody who was born and raised on grade A American cord. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and his brother, I don't know if you guys caught it, the painting of his brother just looks just like him. Yeah. Interesting. So maybe it was his twin brother? Maybe. I feel like I need a prequel to this movie just about, like, what happened when they were kids that Larry left. Because he's, like, um, early sorry. 30s, maybe, late 20s, well, right. and he's been he's out for sub- 18 years. Okay. So we find out in uh, Frankenstein v. Wolfman, Dawn of Justice, that <laughs> he's 31 when he's killed at the end of this. So he's been gone uh, for 18 years. But he was certainly older than 31 when they filmed this, and he looks it because I swear to God, doesn't 
Cheney Jr. look exactly as old or if or older than Claude Rains in it? Oh, he could play his dad. He could play his dad. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Did I sit on my lap, my my American son? I mean, that. Mike, I feel like you're you're like you're really quiet because we're really ragging on Larry Talbot, <laughs> but like he's not supposed to be the hero of this movie. I don't think. Well, I don't. I, I think I think that you guys are ragging on him too harshly. He spies on this woman, and then just says that that's going to be mine. Yeah, but 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 you're but but you guys are also like unfairly painting it like she's like this victim. There's obviously an attraction brewing between the two of them. Women, I said this to you earlier. Women say yes to men who are persistent like that because they are afraid that they're going to be killed. What happened at the end of this movie? Trying to kill her. But but we are. I didn't include in the plot summary. But we are to Mike's point. When Larry says he's going to move away, she that's her out of him going away, and she wants to go with. Him. That's what I mean. Like, like, like we're painting it seem like the fact that he that he comes off like, especially in today's climate, like, oh, that's a creeper. Like he's spying on her, like some fucking like excerpt scene from Rear Window. Like that's weird, it, it, it and is. everything. And then he goes to the shop, but it's all meant to be like, oh, it's this like you know this like love at first sight kind of thing. Like that's where I think it's supposed to be built up to. I think that putting too much of like today, like putting these things under like too much of like today's microscope just kind of harms it but i think but exactly your point gary that's the thing like she has her out but she doesn't take it so obviously we're meant to believe that there's an attraction brewing between the two of them she could easily have just like they didn't have to add in there that she was engaged to somebody she could have just been somebody single and then she could have just kept like denying him denying him but they purposely put this love triangle in there to kind of add um, like an added drama to the narrative. And then the fact that she doesn't push him away or choose to um, to let him go, she wants him there, is obviously saying a lot about her and where her feelings are lying. She's, she's not sure what she wants. She knows that she doesn't want the fuck that she's with. She doesn't know. It, may, it might not be Larry, but she's not, she's not um, you know, ignoring that urge either. So maybe she's a fucking predator too. <laughs> so what you're saying, Mike, what you're what you're saying is that she only wants him because he is a, a Talbot and he's loaded and he's well to do. Maybe because you I mean, know she, what? She, Listen, she is work. She is a shop girl too. It's easier to despise everybody in the movie. <laughs> oh, I don't like her. I don't think she's. A, I don't think she's a good character. Like she's not a good person either. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples. Um, she cheats on her fiance. She gives zero fucks when her friend dies. Zero fucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah like fuck Jenny, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gives zero fucks when her friend dies. Um, that go- see, see the okay. I'm sorry, but right there, they have something in common. They're both fucking predators, and they both could give two shits about the people closest to them and die. Fucking Larry doesn't give a fucking shit about his brother dying. You, you might, you might be onto something there, Mike. You know what I mean, and, and fucking Gwen is just like, oh yeah, like my best friend who I walked arm in arm with with Larry to the fucking gypsy parade, <laughs> just goes fucking slaughter. Yeah. But you know what? You know what? Everyone in this town does care about. Werewolves, because they all know everything about werewolves. Everything. Yeah, it's the werewolf capital of the world, apparently. Oh, whole town full of experts in werewolves. <laughs> it must be. And Which is grow- like, but, but like, why? It's not like the gypsy caravan are like stationed. They're like that's their fucking like mainstay headquarters. <laughs> like, like they're a traveling thing. So why um, is why is everybody so knowledgeable on that? It's, it's because uh, that's where Wolfbane lives, I guess. I don't. I don't know, sure. man. What was what was the plant in Werewolf of London? Because I thought it would be cool if they used the same plant. It wasn't Wolfsbane, right? It was lycanthropic uh, 
It was uh, mm, I believe it was uh, it was just a regular old rose, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, is there, like is there the anything rose special about it, right? Oh, it's like the rose and Beauty and the Beast. Like yeah. if it dies, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yes. The... That's yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> but yeah, everybody knows a lot about werewolves, and um, the uh, the fortune teller um, oh. sees the pentagram. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It is the. Uh... Oh, this is a bad one. Marifaza Lupine Lumino. Oh, it was right on the tip of my tongue. Do you want to know why? Because Wolfsbane sounds way fucking cooler. Oh, Lupine Lumina sounds cool. And I think, is Wolfsbane real? Yeah, I think it is. James, werewolves are real, James. (laughs) Oh, listen. Obviously, we're the the experts on Yeah, no, it's a real real one. But that's the other thing in this movie. I think everyone acknowledges, like, yeah, we know that werewolves exist. Like, no one says werewolves don't exist, you know? They're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Except except for Sir Johnny, Johnny T. Yeah. Like, you're being foolish. Uh, werewolves are a story, a story myth, and uh, it, it is about the duality of man. Uh, maybe one, this, man one wolf inside of you. Maybe <laughs> this happens in the Benicio del Toro, the wolf man, but is his oh, dad also a werewolf? Is that, that a thing? In the Benicio yeah, one, Anthony Hopkins is a werewolf in that, yeah. That would have been cool Well, in this hold one. on. To be fair, that in the, in the Benicio del Toro werewolf movie, Anthony Hopkins wasn't supposed to be a werewolf he just actually is one and they did have to film at night <laughs> they were filming Wait. on a full moon and they just figured it a coincidence and they're like just, hey this is good save this on cg just because i'm a sucker for it i don't think that we should call it the benicio del toro version i think more more accurately we should call it the joe johnston wolfman movie because you know just keep just keep giving love to joe johnston yeah we here. love joe johnston here can we give as much love to bella's very aggressive very powerful mustache though oh yeah, yeah that's a power cool. move. that is a oof, that is a waxy boy that was definitely is, a uh, power move good look you know what's uh, a piece of werewolf mythology that i'm i am glad is not in more media is the werewolf sees a pentagram on their victim's hand didn't yeah. like that didn't like that at all it oh, was, you didn't like it that? Was, it was a no. hokey look. That's the thing. It just yeah, it looked silly, bad. and it was, like, goofy. Wow. So, so does that say that the werewolf has control over who they kill, or they're destined to kill that person? I think it's like they're destined to do it. And the fact that you don't like it just sh- says that you don't like Satan, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't like Satan. <laughs> don't. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's so... So what we're saying is that there's no free will in these movies either. If you're If you're a wolfman... That's it. You're gonna. You got a predetermined list of murders, or what? Well, I well, I think the fact that like it goes off, it's just like, oh, it's your spidey sense. For yeah. It, it, it. Well, it's also it's also like playing <laughs> on like the the lack of control that whoever the wolf man is. It's oh. it's basically like telling you like this is gonna be your fate. But if they can change their fate, that's gonna be a a miracle. But the longer oh. they go on, the more Mike, victims. You've watched, you've watched Brave too much. What? You'd change your faith, would you? Yeah, I would. Uh, I've never seen Brave. Is, does Brave, Brave have a Wolfman in it? Uh, Brave has <laughs> bears. He's got bears. That got bears. Cut. Yeah, little cubs. Got little yeah. cubbies. And then full blown bears too. Yeah, big one, big one. Wait, am I thinking of Brother Bear? You're thinking Brother Bear, which is Rick Moranis does a voice though. in that. Oh well, mm. hang on. Rick Moranis is around. <laughs> now we're in business. So, um, the. The actual, like, attack of Jenny and Larry wrestling the wolf is a pretty violent and, I think, yeah. the best scene in this movie. It's really well done. It yes, is. it is very good. <laughs> that, uh, the quote-unquote wolf is actually, uh, CJ. That's Cheney Jr. 
It's uh, CJ's uh, actual dog. One of his actual dogs. He was an animal. Really? Yeah, he was an animal lover. Oh, and that's the dog's, pretty cool. The dog's name was Wolf. Oh, that's nice. really cool. I yeah, thought you said cool. it was CGI. I'm like, well, no, that's... no, 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 CJ. <laughs> yeah, cutting edge at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty brutal scene. Like he beats the shit out of that wolf, and like we see the wolf eating Jenny. It's like we haven't seen anything that violent. I don't think. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. Well, scene. That's the thing where I think um, the changeup comes with somebody like George Wagner. And just what kind of production that this is like, yeah, like, you know, it's it's definitely more conventional and straight on, you know, like we're seeing, um, it, although it takes some time to get there. We do see um, the Wolfman, you know, up close and personal. You see this violence and stuff like that. So they're kind of going for more a more sensationalist sort of horror in this one, which I like it. You know, it's still very, very atmospheric, but they're kind of giving you all that stuff that like as a kid at that time, you would have wanted to see, you wanted to see that monster effect. And of course with Jack Pierce, once again, doing the makeup, um, it's incredible. Like, you know, it, it, he did a really good job with werewolf of London. That's the one thing that I think universally we can all praise about werewolf of London was that the makeup looked great. I think that what's, what's done here. And the fact that, you know, Jack Pierce used a combination of like hard to find yak hair and a set of jutting sharp teeth for Cheney's look that it stands out. Like that makeup is iconic. When people think Wolfman, they still think of this film. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from it. That, again was not supposed to be the case jack pierce wasn't going to be doing any wolf effects mm-hmm. the when they're like all right we're going to go with like and you know it's going to be a werewolf they were going to use animals like they were going to get like real wolves to do the parts mm-hmm. which is like you know you know how they are on set they're always in the trailer yeah they're really yeah. they're always late it's terrible um my question for you, and it's not that I don't like the makeup effects, but has has Jack Pierce ever once seen a wolf? Jack ever, Pierce? Has he ever mm-hmm. once seen a wolf, guys? No, he's, a, he's afraid of Neither one of these look like wolves. No. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't really look like Lon Chaney Jr. at all. If you told me a different actor played the yeah. wolfman, I wouldn't have been surprised. That's the best part about it. It doesn't look like... <laughs> like well, in Werewolf of London, like they consciously made the werewolf look like yeah, whoever the fuck that guy was. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in this, like, it doesn't look anything like him. He even looks like a small. He has a smaller frame. Yeah, like he's definitely lurking. It's the hunch. The um the the tiptoe wolfman walk is a choice, though, huh? <laughs> That's a choice. Yeah, the I like choice. that. I think his yeah. best physical acting is when he's in the bear trap and is just flailing around. <laughs> yeah. But even when he's the wolf man, I mean, he's still kind enough to keep his shirt tucked in. So that's like cool manner. So let's, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk man. about it. Let's talk about it. He gets attacked by a straight up wolf. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which in my, I'm a big werewolf wolf man fan. Just the, the mm-hmm. concept and creature is maybe my favorite monster. A werewolf to me walks on all fours while a wolf man walks on his two legs. That's correct. This, uh, whereas the entire mythology for werewolves kind of evolved out of Werewolf of London, mm-hmm. um, the whole concept of a difference between a werewolf and a wolfman happens in this movie. But yeah. Larry's attacked by a werewolf. Yes. But turns into a wolf man. Correct. But but is it is it fair to say? Well, this is that's actually really interesting. I, I liked hearing about all that. Is it fair to say that maybe since Larry 
Larry's case of uh, lycanthropy, since it's so fresh and new that he's more the wolf man, and the fact that Bella maybe was a wolf for far longer, right. you transform more that's what into I was the thinking. werewolf. That's I, what I was thinking, too. I'd love to say that's the case, but it comes down to... Uh, schedule and they're like oh you know what we're actually going to go with a with a with a yeah. man with, with a man being uh put into a, a bad you know a, not a bad wolf costume but uh bite in, your tongue not a unrealistic wolf costume <laughs> on, on, out of all the wolf men we've seen it is vastly <laughs> unrealistic not look like a wolf at all it looks like a shitty dog maybe it just affects people in different ways right it, it's mm. like covid some people get it worse than others <laughs> <laughs> um i like that uh larry gets a scar of a pentagram and when he shows his dad his dad goes well any animal could make that scar yeah, yeah i was just like claude come on you're better Actually, than that sir john <laughs> I want to. I do want to say John Talbot's refusal to acquiesce to getting his son the mental health care that he's looking for is a. Uh, it's it's a two. It's a two hitter. It's uh, a a glaring look at the mirror, like just a, a horrible look at the mirror idea of trying to like fix yourself mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a real teachable moment about toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. masculinity. It'd be better if I said it right the first time. And uh, Johnny Talbot's uh, not a great dad. <laughs> No, no, he he's definitely one of the more affluent deadbeat dads that we've covered on the yeah. Monster Alley podcast. He's a we know we don't know if he's a deadbeat dad, but he's definitely the dad at the uh, the baseball game who is screaming at their kid for picking their nose and chasing butterflies in left field. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? This is an interesting thing. Just circling back now, I, I was originally kind of being a little bit more, you know, putting into the side the fact that Larry's been gone for 18 years because you just kind of assume at that time it's like, oh, like kids that were coming from that sort of like um, rich upbringing were probably cast oh. out to like boarding schools and stuff. But maybe it's just like Sir John was just like, no, I fucking hate my kids. Oh, I just maybe. don't want them. So what you're saying is that initially it was like uh, Larry was on Rumspringa. Yeah, and, that's what uh, that's what I, I thought. I just thought that he was like just being educated that whole time, and he only came home like very infrequently. But now that apparently he's eighteen and he's home now, like, I so uh, I was I was reading something. I'm a hundred percent sure that they don't mention in the movie, but apparently he was working for he's he's good at telescopes because he was working for an observatory in California or something like yes, that. Yes, he yeah. says that. And he's good with, like, machines and engineering so and stuff like that. he's so good with telescopes, why is he looking at a town through the telescope and not, I don't know, the sky? Is it because he's a pervert, Michael? I don't know. Maybe he maybe he was looking for the North Star and then he found but the if you, I the think it's a line of dialogue dropped in the movie that John Talbot has also been peeping on Gwen. Yeah, maybe he it's just like said, hereditary being a He creep. says something <laughs> like, oh, I've noticed her too, or something like that. Uh, the rich and powerful are yeah. creeper peepers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sir John Talbot, you could definitely see like he was one of the masked guys at those eyes wide shut parties. Oh, Dad, like, what a great analogy. What a great, yes. <laughs> he definitely was fucking yeah. somebody on a pool table. Oh, yes. Is it... Is it a racist thing that nobody ever listens to the travelers when they're all like warning them about werewolves and shit? Like, hey, be safe, stay indoors. Don't. Totally, yeah, yeah. They're, they yeah, look down on them. Like, oh, this is your God. stupid thing. You're 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 not white. We're not listening to you at all. <laughs> it's like, 
hey, listen, everybody in this town knows about werewolves, but also we're not going to listen to you guys telling us about werewolves. Yeah. Well, this town is is full of a lot of bad people. There's the very crooked doctor who just goes, Larry just needs rest. He's okay. And the cop is just like, I feel like I should talk to him, but if you say so, okay. Yeah. And, oh, Larry, this is the murder weapon. I'm just going to give it back to you. Yeah. I thought that was a little fishy. And that's then just, there's um, Jenny's mother. Justice. Jenny's mother, who's a great character. I thought she was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, understandably pissed off about the whole thing as her daughter died. These two shits uh, got out of it scot-free. Well, here, here's my question. Like, what is the time frame? Does this movie take place over, like, two days? Because it, yes. yeah. it feels like well, words spread really quick. Well, I figure, well, you know, the, the new, the uh, the full moon period is uh, three, three nights. Yeah. So if uh, Bella, played by Bella, uh, attacked night one... You're good to rock and roll for two more nights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just the, t- the timing is really weird because, like, Larry goes to Bella's crypt in, like, the middle of the day or something. It's strange. And that's yeah. also a strange scene. And then, you know what was a pretty good scene was the church scene. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty – that had some good tension. Like, yo, Larry, the whole town thinks you're a murderer. Why yeah, are you like he, he's like He's like the outliar. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty great. It's pretty um, great. I like. I also like that the whole town just completely wrote him off. It's like, oh yeah, Larry Talbot's a freaking murderer because yeah. they know something about him. Why was he gone for eighteen years? You know what it was. You're right. He here. Here's here's what it is. You know why he was gone? He was actually gone that whole time because there was a case that involved like um the sexual assault of a town girl, and then he got cast away. But they never knew if he did it or not. And then when he came back, they were like, "Oh, it's Larry. We haven't seen you in so long." Most people probably forgot about it. And then when all that shit came around, they were like, "Oh, now we remember why we fucking didn't like that's, you." That's definitely it. Oh, then he disappeared like the week after that. Isn't that weird? Isn't yeah, that like, strange? A little fishy. Can I bring something up, actually, no. about uh, Evelyn? Eng- no, <laughs> that's it, guys. Absolutely we're done. Not. Get the fuck out. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. No, this is because it, it goes back to when we were talking about bears and shit. Um, so as much as you might not remember. No, <laughs> you'll appreciate this because it's fucking weird. Um, so you, I, get, I guess you wouldn't notice it, but I'm sure you guys will be pleased to know this. But there was actually like considerable friction between Evelyn anchors and Lon Chaney jr. Yeah. Standing. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, they did not get along, um, very well together, but they did end up making about like five films together. Uh, but they have, they do have pretty good chemistry, but, um, that being what it may. So Evelyn anchors recalled, um, Lon Chaney Jr. Um, really delighting and sneaking up behind her and scaring the shit out of her in the werewolf makeup. Um, and then uh, during the same time, this is like an interview that she had done some time ago when she was still alive. Um, she also remembers a particularly terrifying day when an enormous bear, which was shot for a deleted wrestling match. Scene. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, there was a deleted re- bear wrestling ma- match scene. Um, so the bear broke free of his chains and chased her through the raptors of the soundstage before being restrained. Now, fuck the whole movie. What about this deleted bear scene, right? Well, one, that does sound terrifying to be just chased by a bear. But like who was going to wrestle the bear? Like, 
Yeah, like you're like, okay, I'm working on a film that's 180 grand. Like, there's no way that they have the proper fucking credentials to wrestle this fucking thing and down. Who was wrestling the bear? Was it the Wolfman or was it well, Larry? Yeah, so, <laughs> so the the scene in question, because Kurt's side of Max script, I mean, James has a, has talked about it a few times. His script went through like several different revisions. So I think like that original draft is wildly different from what we got. But uh, whichever whichever draft it may have been, and there was a scene and. A they apparently they obviously shot it because this happened it it involved taking place um i think during like the the gypsy like carnival or wherever and there's like uh, like a bear wrestling match and one of like uh, there's like a carnival barker or something that challenges larry to wrestle the bear because obviously you can just do that like oh if you think you're man enough do it like oh that's like that's totally passes total tons of laws and i think it was supposed to be something where like larry like his like werewolf like anger takes hold of him and he like beats the shit out of the bear i want to see this scene dude can we start a kickstarter just to make that yeah, scene like... that sounds rad so it's, I, I, I don't know if that actually happens, but it's like it's like a, a confrontation between a Barker and like this like exhibit in as part of like the gypsy. But I was like, where the fuck is that scene? Um, do you know why there was that friction between uh, Cheney and Anchors? I you know, I, I really don't know. It's, it's oh, kind of, I'm glad oh, you that know. you don't. Oh, buddy, I got the oh, I got please, I'm going to I'm gonna, I got the goths, boys. Oh, that a boy. That a boy. So the studio took away his private dressing room and gave it to her mm -hmm. because so he's pissed off at her about something the studio did because he was being punished by them for getting hammered and destroying property on the studio. Oh, OK. There it so, is. So he's he's angry. He's angry at this woman who did nothing wrong. Wow. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, like the fact that he obviously was combating like alcohol, trouble with alcohol there, just that obviously plagued him for the rest of his days. That's fascinating, though. Wow. And, and, to, and to know that they would go on to make another four films together is pretty crazy, too. So Larry has this weird acid trip in the woods. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? He sees all this stuff. And it's so like we haven't had anything like that in any of these movies. It was kind a of a good weird. time. <laughs> yeah, very trippy stuff. I like that scene a lot because, yeah, you're totally right. It's radically different from anything we've seen. And then um, we'd be remiss not to talk about the wolf transformation, which we all praise in A Werewolf of London. A big letdown here, guys. All we see is he gets these hairy boots and we like they I feel like they really <laughs> cheaped out. They in 10 years, they couldn't have come up with a better werewolf transformation since Werewolf of London. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're comparing it to Werewolf of London, yeah, like I'll still give Werewolf of London the benefit there. But as much as the quote unquote transformation isn't great, that could just like be boiled down to just the director not knowing how to shoot it as creatively as possible. The end result, I think, takes it like Jack Pierce's makeup. It's better than Werewolf of London. Like, I, I just love the makeup design here. So I'll. I'll kind of turn a blind eye to the fact that the actual transformation isn't as epic, but what we see and, you know, in close up, you know, surrounded by fog, like that's, that's worth the price of admission for me every time. I feel like part of the, part of the issue is like all the transformations. He's so static. That's you know, fair. like, yes, like it's, if they could have done, if they could have done the same thing and worked it out where it is, you know, he's in some kind of motion, it would definitely have been better because yeah, I mean 
this is without a doubt unquestionably an area where Werewolf of London definitely has it over Wolfman. And it's such a staple of werewolf movies is the transformation. Like each werewolf movie has to keep topping what's mm-hmm. done before. And you know, an American werewolf obviously in London American Werewolf in London is is, is the kind of gold standard of that. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, Trick or Treat of, has a great transformation sequence. Trick or Treat does. But I was just, I don't know, I was just disappointed. I kind of expected more, which kind of sums up my feelings on this movie. So let's take it to our our final thoughts. Now, the way that we do this, Mike. <laughs> Gary, take it away. <laughs> no, no, no. If you go first, and then James goes, and then by the time it's my go, you guys have said everything, so I don't say much. It's great. Yes, I, I, I figured. But <clears throat> I'll be fine, because you know what? I think you will say a lot more because we're obviously going to be on two very different uh, playing fields by the end of this. Um, So I do want to start my wrap up by saying that uh, the authors of kind of what I consider one of the definitive texts on universal horror films in general, Tom Weaver and Michael and John Brunus, um, they make a strong point. Um, saying that although many hail the 1940s as the decade that was dominated by Val Luton's artistic touches to horror and really his focus on the unseen, it's important to remember that RKO didn't even start bankrolling any of those productions until they saw what a hit the Wolfman was. So that's something to mention. Um, You know, as much as like... The Wolfman is, we've talked about it, it's it's more conventional in its sort of... um, sensationalist horror you know like the the wolfman the monster is very front and center it's atmospheric and and you know it's it's violent at times too definitely that scene that we talked about where uh sir john talbot beats the shit out of his son you know that he actually really clobbered um lon cheney jr that thing was like Good. that thing was like 10 pounds and he fucking actually, we all wanted to do it, it was rubber it was made of rubber yeah but it was 10 pounds well he, he deserves it look at him yeah well <laughs> He was an asshole on set, apparently. <laughs> Real piece of shit. He deserved it. Well, I mean, he fucking dominated the studio for the next decade. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that that's important to know, especially when people hail the 40s as being dominated by this Val Luton thing. The Wolfman kind of did its own thing and didn't, you know, it, it still is very atmospheric. It's definitely um, very... Um, it's very swift. Again, this film is like, you know, just barely getting to 70 minutes. And I think that it uses its time really well. I love the cast in this, although, you know, we, we kind of joked about Lon Chaney Jr. being a little rusty, but I like everybody in it. I like Claude Rains, um, Evelyn Ankers. Everybody's really great. That atmosphere is awesome. And again, Jack Pierce's makeup, it's still, you know, the gold standard for many people. When you say Wolfman, that image still comes in their head. So, um, and, and also it's, it, one thing that we didn't even mention that, you know, at the time of this film's release, it was the first new monster that we had seen in the better part of a decade, too. So that says a lot for it, too. Like, you know, that it kind of just set, you know, it kind of shot a new dose of life into the universal monster canon, which thankfully brought us into like a whole other, you know, decade and a half. So kind of can thank uh, and credit the Wolfman for that. So I love this film. It was really a blast to revisit it and kind of talk in depth with it. I know that we're going to be on a lot, you know, very separate um, aisles for this episode, but for all the reasons that I mentioned, uh, this film still holds up for me. It's it's a golden, you know, it's a gold standard example of the universal monster canon. So I love it. 
All that being said, The Wolfman, 4.5 out of 5 for me. I Jesus love it. Christ. Oh! <laughs> Jesus Christ. James. Please, well, James, please. I love that Sir John Talbot read the monster manual for D&D because he knows that silver weapons do double damage to lycanthropes. So that was good. He really went to town on his son uh the end there. Did um, he know it was his son, do you think? Yeah, dude. His son's like, hey, Dad, I'm a werewolf. Nah, dude, don't worry. You're rich. <laughs> You're good. You're good. You're good. Um, this movie was about a creeper, uh, and it became an even more dangerous creeper. Uh, and then he got his at the end, which was really nice to see. Um, we are two for two with police sweeping uh, wolf crimes uh, of the rich underneath the rug. So that's not, you know, great. But um, I really like this movie. I don't like it as much as I used to. Uh, I'm confused by where we got uh, the concept of werewolves wearing tattered flannels. Um, because we don't we don't see that in this one. We see him wearing uh, like a Carhartt. um it's it did give us a whole new concept of a monster because werewolves were around in or should i say mm, it didn't give us a new concept for a monster because we got this concept in werewolf of london uh we have yet well i guess technically we did see a werewolf in this one uh bella the werewolf uh but they gave a name to the other different monster that they now have is the Wolfman. Um, you know, uh, it's a good thing that there was a good supporting cast because Chaney is a big dumb oaf who's not good at delivering lines, but he does a lot of hurt acting throughout the movie. And I was like, mm, this is like proto Pierce Brosnan. And on that, I give it. And this is this is, seems like blasphemy, but. I'm giving it a three seven five. Um, it should be happy to have that. Gary, what you got? That's not as low <laughs> as I expected from you, considering all the shit oh, talking. I didn't. So. I, listen, I love the shit talk, but I didn't hate the movie. Gary, what you got? It's your favorite movie. Go. Last episode, I was I was spoke out of turn and said, <laughs> "I am so excited for the Wolfman. It is my favorite Universal horror movie." <sighs> I think what I was remembering was the great monster rally movies that I really love. Maybe, maybe I love them. Maybe when we get to them, I'll say otherwise. <laughs> but Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. Because the Wolfman is is kind of the lead character in all those movies. Oh, he comes big. back and he's he's kind of the lead monster through the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. I had such good memories of watching this movie as a kid that made me just love werewolves as a as a concept. But watching this now as an adult with more critical eyes, this is not a good movie. It's uh, not a good movie. It's It's got an unlikable lead character, really unlikable. And we joked about him, and we probably exaggerated a little bit, but he's not uh, like, like, he's not, I don't know, there's nothing to like about him. I don't sympathize with him. Yeah, we did not exaggerate about him. <laughs> I don't sympathize with Larry. I don't think Lon Chaney is, Jr. is as bad as James is making him out to be. He's great as the Wolfman. He does a great job as the Wolfman. Um, he's not a good actor playing Larry. He's just kind of awkward. Um, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get so much hate for what I'm about You're to say. Too, baby. Oh, God, I like that. the Werewolf of London design better than the Wolfman design. 
like a lot better. You, you went real hard in the paint about loving a werewolf in a top hat, or you know, like in a, in a cap. And a <laughs> I love a werewolf and an ascot. Yes. <laughs> um, and this wolfman, like he's got like an afro. It's weird. It's a weird. <laughs> it's a weird haircut. The the one transition with the face really shows the stark differential between uh, Cheney's uh, real sweaty mop. Yeah. And- it's <laughs> like curled up like perm that he's got I am going to say that this is not the worst movie we've watched so far but it's the yeah, one that's no shit. it's the one that's disappointed me the most because it was the one I was most excited for you're not mad you're just disappointed Expe- especially especially coming out of um, a four run Four run movies of Son of Frankenstein, Invisible, what was that? Invisible Man Returns, okay. Mommy's Hand, Invisible Woman, which I loved all of them and they were super fun. This movie was just boring and we saw the same forest c- scenery over and over again. Oh my goodness. Like they had like six trees in this backyard. Um, this, yeah, I hate, I hate to say this. Mike gave 4.5. Yeah. yeah. James 3.75. Yeah, it was generous. Two two five. Oh nice. God. Nice. Two wow. five for the Wolf Man. I, I hate to say it. Two five. I, powerful. Wait, powerful man. Really before we close this off. So you are saying that you genuinely liked the Invisible Man Returns more than the Wolf Man. Yes. If I'm gonna Said sit no down one and, ever. <laughs> if I'm gonna sit down and watch and enjoy a movie for entertainment value, Invisible Man Returns is more entertaining than the Wolf Man. Oh my God! Lon Chaney Jr. is rolling in his fucking casket, and he deserves it. Well, I wouldn't say he deserves it. Larry Talbot deserves it. <laughs> I don't like, and you don't even get. There's two Wolfman scenes in this movie. You barely see the Wolfman. Well, sure. There's st- there's still more to come. <laughs> no, and I, I'm a, I'm optimistic for the sequels with him because I like the character, um, and I like the design. This this movie just didn't hold up. In my in my uh, you know nostalgia view that I had on it, but that's okay. That's okay. As always with Monster Rally podcast, there's always another movie coming. There's always something else with Lon Chaney Jr. coming down the pipe. I'm sure. That's and so our, funny that you said that. <laughs> and our next movie is um, Ghost of Frankenstein, and we get another crack at Lon Chaney Jr. because I think he's playing the monster in that one. He's playing the monster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. But we get Bela Lugosi back as Igor, and that's exciting. Yeah. Well, it's that's that's the thing. As as we go through this, it's always comforting to get back into the Frankenstein franchise because that's clearly I know we you guys like to rib me a lot. But as we've seen, like the the Frankenstein franchise is the most dependable franchise we've had so far. So it'll be fun to kind of get back to that territory again. You know what? We do make fun of you for that. And I was really banking on the Wolfman to be like, nah, but the Wolfman. And I just was so let down. And you might be right. Frankenstein might be the most solid. Wait for Creature. Well, uh, mummy's mummy's pretty good so far. Don't forget, Chris. yeah. Well, yeah, mu- the mummy sequels are are great, and yeah, the we mummy is the been... best one. Yes, correct. The original is the best movie ever made. Got it. Wow. Yeah, we we that's, are not going there. <laughs> we lie. are not going back in time, folks. <laughs> I'm I'm just kidding. Steven Soderbergh's mummy is the best mummy movie ever made. So that's just just so you guys know, I think I gave Werewolf of London a higher score than The Wolfman. I think you did. I think well, you liked it more. <laughs> I I did. I I'm gonna say right now, now that we're coming to an end, people have made it this far without hating me. They probably too hate late. Me. You already did. Werewolf yeah, of London. 
I liked Werewolf of London better than I liked The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Werewolf of London was the rock bottom show for us so far, so yeah. awkward. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> this is awkward. But if you if you like Monster Rally and you like James and Mike because you value their opinions, you can get Monster Rally Podcast merchandise on the internet on tpublic.com by searching Monster Rally Podcast or really just putting in any monster name, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Invisible Man, Creature in Black Lagoon, all that stuff. You can go directly to our site, tpublic.com slash user slash monster-rally-podcast. That'll bring you right to the site. No fuss, no muss. I didn't know that existed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm very James is wearing a very fashionable Monster Rally podcast shirt right now. And it's what, so we look, comfortable. We what, look great on that What color shirt. is that, James? It is a, it's a purple heather. Heather purple. Heather purple. purple. I got it's myself a white sleeve black shirt baseball tee with our logo on it. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Mike um, didn't. I have not gotten our merch yet, but I will. You know what? I really, the, the, the tail end of this episode would have been great because you went in being really horny about the Wolfman. I really wish that you would have chosen the Wolfman as your character for our merch so Looking you can get that right now. <laughs> Word. Again, yes. we got it. Got uh, we've got Gary featured as uh, Frankenstein's monster. I am featured as the Invisible Man, and Mike is uh, Mike wearing uh, green turtleneck. Yes, yeah. <laughs> accurate. So we know where you can find our merchandise. James, where you can you find us on the internet? You can find us on the internet on Facebook. Just search the Monster Rally Podcast. You'll find our page there. It's pretty simple. If you're on Facebook, guys, don't be on Facebook. But if you are. Follow us. Join the discussion. It's fun. Uh, anywhere else, and by anywhere else, I mean Twitter and Instagram. We are at Monster Rally Pod, one word. Uh, we post mostly on Instagram. We're not going to lie about this. Uh, but <laughs> please like and subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcast uh, podcast player podcatcher of choice. If you go to Apple Podcasts, because there is no iTunes podcast anymore, please rate and review. Give us five stars. If you write a review, Gary will somehow work it into one of his uh, summaries. And that'll be interesting when it happens. (laughs) We do appreciate you, uh, dear listeners. And please uh, continue to spread the word and let our little podcast grow into a big tall tree that will then be chopped down painted black and used as a background for a future wolfman scene. <laughs> yeah, they get three trees and just keep recycling them to the same misty forest over and over again. Yeah, but with a lot of fog. A lot of fog. A lot of fog. <laughs> yeah. Mike, any final thoughts, words of wisdom? Yeah, I mean, just that you're wrong about the wolfman. <laughs> that's really it. No, that's really it for me. Thank you guys again for doing this. We will see you in episode 13, Ghost of Frankenstein. The lucky one. I still haven't come up with a sign-off, so until next time, I'm going to say... That's okay. You won't... Okay, when we do ratings, Mike, you go first. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to ask you if you can go first. <laughs> That's fine, but then James goes, and then I go. That's the yeah. that's the. I mean, you then, can ask Mike. You can ask whoever you want to go first, but you're gonna go first. And then James <laughs> does the social media plugs.
That's true. I do them. You and do then do Mike, as I'm trying to sign off, you usually say something over me. <laughs>